Taking over at BMI was one of those typical cases of the association was doing things because that's the way they were always done. And so when I came in, we sat down with the board and said, hey, we need to have this strategic planning session and really look at what is it the association is doing, should be doing, wants to do, and in some cases, what shouldn't they be doing. is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association execs tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing their bottom line, serving their members, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Matt Baer, Executive Director of the Book Manufacturers Institute. Welcome, Matt. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Hey, so Matt, tell us about the Book Manufacturers Institute. Okay, well, we are the trade association that represents the folks who print, bind, and create the printed book as well as the companies that supply them. So folks who make paper or ink or glues or cover materials or the printing presses and machinery themselves. So we have both the printers and the suppliers as our members. And as an association, I believe it was 1933, they were created, 33 or 35. I've been executive director for five years now. And so Matt, what's happening with book publishing? Some challenging trends. Well, it's funny because back in 08, you had the Kindle and the financial crisis, which just crushed the book industry when you combine those two things. And so there was a precipitous drop off in book printing and it's climbed its way back up. And there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions and bankruptcies and things during that time. But then you had the pandemic, which actually sparked (laughs) the love of the printed book again. Because people were home and they wanted to read. Basically, yeah. And I think it just goes to show, yeah, people like their Kindle when they're they're maybe flying on a plane and it's lighter to put in their backpack or whatever. But if you really want to sit and read, the printed book is still the number one seed. But at the same time, the challenge is really a lot to do with supply chain and labor, which I think is affecting every industry under the sun these days. But it's really affecting our industry quite a bit. The availability of pulp for paper the shift of paper mills, not making book paper, but instead making packaging material, you know, because every we all get 100 Amazon deliveries every day and somebody's got to make those paper envelopes and boxes and things. And uh, it's much more profitable for paper companies to make packaging material. So that's been a challenge. And then uh, labor is probably, again, the biggest thing. You know, a lot of our members, if they could hire folks for a third shift, they've got the business to run a third shift. They just don't have the people to run a third shift. So it's a really tough time. Matt, I work with so many organizations and everyone is talking about labor issues. I don't know where we're going to find these people. I, 
You know, I've did I've done a bunch of webinars over the last year for the book industry and for publishers and for folks wanting to know what's going on and diving into the labor research. It's not good. It's not good. And everybody thinks it's a wage issue. Wages are just going to have to come up and then everything will be fine. And it's not that simple. It's not that simple. The raw numbers make it so it is not, that's not the case. <laughs> so Matt, you're in a challenging environment, but before we get into the things that BMI is doing to thrive, let's talk about your journey. So how did you come to be executive director? My career path has kind of been in two areas. It's either been in soccer or it's been in association management. And I've just kind of amazing gone back and forth between the two over the last 20 years. But I've been primarily in associations for the last 10 or so prior to that was in a soccer position. But, you know, I was with an association that was going through a lot of struggles, a lot of changes. I kind of saw the writing on the wall that things were going to have to change at that association. And so I was open for new opportunities and got lucky with finding the BMI. And sure enough, right after I got the BMI job, that association merged with another. There was a huge round of layoffs and things like that. So I'm happy I was able to to find BMI. And it was a perfect fit for me just because, A, it's a remote work environment. I'm down here in Bradenton, Florida. So I'm not in the hubs of the association management world these days. So having a remote executive director opportunity is very beneficial for me. It's been good. So you've been in the position five years? Correct. Matt, you have had a pretty amazing run as executive director. In five years, you've increased membership in a challenging industry. So maybe share with us some of the things that you've put in place that are helping you bring in membership and generate revenue. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, taking over at BMI was one of those typical cases of the association was doing things because that's the way they were always done. And so when I came in, we sat down with the board and said, hey, we need to have this strategic planning session and really look at what is it the association is doing, should be doing, wants to do, and in some cases, what shouldn't they be doing? And we had some good conversations and effectively came up with a three-year plan. And the plan was in year one was just to try to kind of right the ship, if you will, fix some easy things that needed to be fixed so that the association wasn't losing money, you know, just clean up some expenses and plans and that kind of thing. And then year two, really the focus was going to be on building value. And that would help both to help recruit and retain members. But when I came in, I asked folks, you know, what was the main value prop for the association? And just about everybody said that the two meetings. The annual conference. And our spring management conference. Yep. And getting together in person was a big benefit for this group but there wasn't a whole lot of other tangible benefits that people had. And so when I talked to other folks who weren't coming to meetings or weren't members of the association, they said, yeah, well, the meetings are kind of too much boondoggle-ish golf outing type things that they weren't into, and they didn't see a lot of value outside the meetings. Yeah. And Matt, I have clients that say they're in a situation where if somebody in one year isn't going to a meeting, they may not renew their membership that year. Absolutely. And so we worked hard to try to figure that out. And so we, one of the things I did was that we changed the meetings some, the way they were delivered, the sessions that were there, where we held the meetings, kind of made those changes to help differentiate the meetings and to make the meetings more valuable to those who weren't finding value. But the other thing was to develop some new, new benefits, new things of value outside of the meetings. So we've done new things a lot in the research area, coming out with kind of annual 
state of the industry reports and doing some other research projects and that sort of thing. So so year two is really focused on value. And then year three was going to be, okay, now that we've got these things in place, now we really roll out the communication of that value and really hopefully draw in some new members. But the other thing I had to do in years one and two was kind of build a prospect list because I inherited a database that had like 10 prospects in it. Yikes. (laughs) So we needed to do some work in that regard. Well, you know, Matt, you had a visionary board that was going to give you three years to really grow. I think some boards say, can you write the ship and grow in the first year? So props to them, I guess. Well, and honestly, one of the things I give a lot of credit to is the board. The fact that prior to me, I think the last 10 executive directors were all just book executives who retired at 65 and then became executive director of the association. So I was the first non-book person, the true association exec that they had hired. And they gave me the latitude and things. And now, granted, I mean, this was the big picture three-year plan, but we were kind of doing this in, you know, all of it every year, but really the focus of what we were doing. And and to be honest, it ended up being a four-year plan because COVID 2020 was year three. Oh, yeah. Let's just press pause and then we make it a four-year plan. And basically that's what's happened. We've, we righted the ship financially. We were losing money on events the year before I got here and now we don't. So that was the big change. We, we weren't locked into contracts for meetings that we didn't need to be locked into. You know, we made those easy changes and put a new website out, you know, little things, and then started adding the value, the research, the meeting changes, the little things like we have, we call it an RFQ tool, but it's basically a way for publishers to just send out a blast to printers saying, Hey, I have this job done. Ooh. You know, would you like it? So for us, So it's like a lead gen tool for your members. Absolutely. Yep. So if I'm a publisher, say I'm Random House and I'm looking for a special kind of printing, I could go to your database and then blast out an RFQ to a whole bunch of members. Yeah. And you get the credit for having generated that lead. Exactly. Nice. Because we have the directory. Right. But if you don't know what you're looking for or, or whatever, then this tool just helps you find more options. So again, it was adding value that was easy to add. Because if I'm a member and I get a couple good leads from you a year, that's probably already worth my membership. Oh, yeah. I have one or two members who've said they've booked business from that that paid for the dues easily. Now, we're not getting tons and, you know, it's not like there's 10 of these coming in every day, but it's the ones that do that help people. And it's interesting because, you know, our members, again, we don't have the publishers as members. We have the printers and the suppliers. Well, the suppliers want to talk to the printers, so their audience is already built in. But for our printer members, we need to have relationships with their customers, which are the publishers, or in my case, I have good relationships with publisher associations to help make sure that we can provide more value to our printer members by being able to connect them with potential more customers and more business. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So historically, your membership is just printers and suppliers and not publishers. But then you created a new event, right? So associations mostly aren't creating big new events, but you decided to create one. It's called the Book Manufacturing Mastered Event. And this was targeting publishers. So tell us about this event, because this has been really successful. Well, it's funny. It started because I would get emails from publishers saying, hey, we want to come to your annual conference to learn more about book manufacturing. And I was like, well, A, this really isn't for you. This isn't for you. (laughs) That's not what we're talking. What you want to hear about is not what we're talking about at this meeting. 
and it's not really designed for you. And, and I got enough of those emails and phone calls or, you know, I'd bump into people at events or whatever. And over the years, I've built really good relationships with executive directors at the publishing association. So I reached out to them and just said, hey, are you doing any education to your members about the manufacturing side of things? And most of them, the answer was no. That's just, again, that's not their focus. They're focused on things like rights issues and piracy and plagiarism and things like that. Marketing books. Copyright law, marketing. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, well, wouldn't it make sense for us to provide that education to your members? Because that's our subject matter expertise, right? And they all said, yeah, that'd be awesome. So what we did was said, okay, let's put together an event that will be, again, we talked about staffing earlier. Well, the publishers have had a lot of turnover in staffing and there's a lot of people at their publishing houses that don't know how the manufacturing process works and they're making decisions based on things they don't know about. So let's educate them. So the idea was kind of a 101, 201 level course, crash course from pre-press through distribution, you know, everything you need to know about printing a book, right? And we did it in Midtown Manhattan. Nice. February of 2020. Yikes, man, you squeaked in that event, Matt. We did. <laughs> and it was the last in-person event for a couple of years for a lot of people. In fact, we had somebody who was a printer in Italy that was supposed to come, but his wife got really sick a couple of days before the event. And Oh, and thank goodness he didn't come. We now know, you know, Italy was at one of those first places hit. Right. Ground zero, right? So anyway, we had, it was a new event for us, but we sold out the space that we had. It was 50 publishers, about 50 printers, and about 50 suppliers that attended. And it got great reviews. The whole idea was we weren't even trying to make money. It, it really, it was like, we wanted this thing to break even because it's brand new. We don't know if anybody's going to show up. So we did everything that we could to make sure we just broke even. But it's a good goal to have it be break even. Yeah. Because then it's revenue neutral, but there's lots of benefits that come along with it. Exactly. It was the non-financial benefits that it gave our members because we also did a little tabletop kind of exhibition cocktail hour. So publishers got to meet new printers and things like that. So folks got new business. It was beneficial. And in, at the end, we were in the black. So life was good. If you've ever planned a meeting in Manhattan, you know how expensive that can be. So the fact that we were in the black was fantastic. And you just brought back the event just last month, right? So after not having the event for two years, you decided to bring it back in Chicago this time. Yeah, everybody had been clamoring for us to do it again in some form or fashion. But little do we know the publishing and printing industry changed so much after because of COVID. We realized, hey, the whole 101, 201 class type event isn't what is needed right now. It's really, we just need to get publishers and printers and suppliers to be around the same table and talk and figure out how to work together better because of all the supply chain and labor limitations that everybody's running into. And effectively, the book printing industry has really changed in the last two years. So right, right. we kept trying to figure out when to bring it back. And we just kept pushing it and kept pushing it because most people still, especially in the publishing industry, a lot of publishers have not gone back to the offices in Manhattan at this point. Some have, but a lot haven't. So we said, you know what, let's take it on the road and not be Manhattan. So we went to Chicago. And again, even though we had a little bit of history, <laughs> having had one other meeting, it was almost like start from scratch. But Again, it was success. We kind of kept that a third, a third, a third of attendance of publishers, printers, and suppliers. We had about 120 folks there, I think, around there. And people loved the event. 
They're asking us, when are we going to do another one, which is even better. So we're actually going to do another one in February, but we're going to co-locate with a Publisher Association's annual conference in Seattle in February. Nice. So now you're, you got a bigger audience and now you're West Coast. Bingo. So now if we're kind of hitting all the things, and it'll, again, it'll look completely different than Chicago looked in terms of the sessions and the timing and all that. You know what's brilliant about this, Matt? You're essentially creating a new event each time so that people won't want to miss it because they'll feel like it's not an event I can miss because it won't be like the last one. Exactly. Yep. And we will probably do another one in September of 23, and maybe we'll do DC. There's a large association press and university press group of printers in DC. And again, kind of just moving it around. We made Nashville's big in Christian publishing, so we may end up there at some point. And it sounds like you're just going to be flexible with the format and the content based on what the conditions are, again, so that people feel like, wow, this is very timely and exactly what I need. A hundred percent. We've created a separate advisory committee for this event that is made up of publishers, printers, and suppliers. So it is not the advisory committee that helps us plan the content and delivery. It really is about what's happening now, not BMI specific. It's not the format for the BMI meeting. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's totally different than what our BMI conferences look like. And that's by design. So we're going to continue to see how it goes. And from a financial standpoint, this was our one of our most successful meetings to bringing in non-dues related revenue to the association, which we've actually already, I've already talked to our executive committee. We're going to take a lot of those funds because they were really unbudgeted because we weren't planning on being so financially successful with this meeting. And we're just going to flip those right into creating some new member benefits. Nice. Some videos and things that members can use to hopefully help in their marketing or help their staffing recruiting and those kinds of things. Some just kind of good for the industry type things. So again, trying to add new value, be relevant, be in front of our members as well as our members' customers, I think has kind of been the key for us growing and then as well as being in front of the industry, so to speak. And creating a hub where conversations can happen. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've talked to a lot of other association executives who they're really big on virtual meetings now and they're, they have a membership base who loves that or who is all about it. And I can tell you, I have an association membership base that doesn't want anything to do with virtual meetings. <laughs> they want to be in person whenever they can. They value that face-to-face -face physical connection. And it's funny, I had a, a long-time BMI member. When I first got the job, I called him up. You know, he's like, Matt, I've been a member. It's family-owned business. My dad was a member. His dad was, you know, kind of thing. And I've been at every meeting except for one in like 30 years. The only way you could get me to spend more money to BMI is to have more meetings. And so funny thing was we had this meeting. And so he remembered that <laughs> two weeks ago, we're sitting at the cocktail hour and he's saying, Matt, remember I told you the only way you get is if you had more meetings, well, you had more meetings and here I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it worked out well, but you know, the in-person thing is key for our folks. Matt, that's not surprising. So what we find in our business is that trade associations are much less likely to want virtual because the trade association often is facilitating 
networking and relationships, as opposed to maybe some of the professional societies where the networking is important, but they're much more about education for continuing education, for example. Hey, I want to turn to something that you talked about earlier, because I think it sounds like it's something that's really helping your members navigate the future, and that's the research. So tell us, you know, you've got the trends in book manufacturing, you've got the monthly barometer. So tell us about those, because again, like what I find among my clients is that their members say, tell me what I need to pay attention to and tell me about the trends that might affect my business. It sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah, pretty much. We get asked a lot about size of the industry. How big is the book industry? You know, and it's one of those things that you can't even, you can't size. Does anyone know that? No. And it's funny because this is going to be sound so silly because it sounds silly every time I say it, but it's the truth. So if you were to ask me, okay, Matt, how big is the book industry? My first question back to you be, define a book. Oh. <laughs> right? And then people are like, well, it's a book. We all know what a book is, but if I had to define it to size a market, what would that encompass, right? Like there's so many variables there that it's almost impossible, right? You got education books, like textbooks at schools and colleges, and you got the books that you buy at Barnes & Noble. Then you got manuals. Is that a book? Ah, there's so many different things you can really look at. So it's really hard to do. But anyway, we looked at other research. Trends has been a big thing, like how books are being printed, whether it's offset or new digital printing methods and things like that. But the monthly barometer really, again, came about because of this new change in the printing industry landscape. Like the publishers, it used to be, if you were a publisher, you could call up a printer and say, hey, I need 10,000 of these in a couple of weeks to sell this book. And that was it. And you'd have five people bidding on it and you'd have them done in two weeks. And it's now flipped on its head, whereas the printers are really kind of in control of the capacity and can tell you how much paper they can get and when it can get done. So the barometer survey was really a way to help tell publishers where things are in a quick monthly snapshot. Oh, interesting. So the audience for the research is not just the members, but the greater industry. Absolutely. And there's another association called the Book Industry Study Group, which their focus is the entire supply chain. So they're mostly publishers, but they have a few manufacturers, a few distributors, and a few other folks as their members. And so they've decided they've kind of taken that and made a whole supply chain survey that they're doing every other month, kind of piggybacking on that. But again, it was born out of people not knowing what was going on, and they wanted to make sure that industry-wide proving what we were saying was true, that there just really isn't a whole lot of capacity out there. Right, right, right. And that lead times are extended and you can't get your 10,000 copies in two weeks anymore. And that's just the way it is. So we've tried to do more, again, on that research front and really asking the members, what is it that you want to learn about or want more information on? And, and we did another project, which was funded primarily by one of our big members, but we had some others contribute as well. And it was, we surveyed parents of K-12 students around their preferences in print versus digital learning, and then pushed that out to school boards and superintendents and anybody we could, because the wow. shockingly, you know, not shockingly, the preference was overwhelming around print versus digital. Absolutely. Not surprised. Because the education market over the last 10 years is really the one that's taken the biggest hit in the printing world. But kids like the tactile aspect of the books. I know my kids do. It's not even that. I mean, it, there is the 
preference stuff, but the actual science is out there that the retention is so much better when they're doing print versus digital reading. And again, that's some other research. We had a white paper done by one of the preeminent academics in that field around print versus digital learning. And so things like that, that our members can then turn around and use to help build their businesses or to convince other folks or even help their customers to be able to understand that, hey, I know you may want to go digital with all this stuff, but really people prefer the print. So Matt, you've been there five years. You stabilized the ship, as it were. You made sure that it sounds like everything that you're doing is, if not revenue neutral, revenue generating. You've created all this new research. You've created these new benefits and you've got a new event. Tell us about membership. How's it going? We're up. Amazing. We're back to levels of membership that were prior to my arrival. And now when you look at it, it's a little misleading just because there's been so much M&A in the space that we lose members because one member buys another. <laughs> and that's not fair to you, but it happens. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, we've had, unfortunately had a few go out of business, but we've also had a few join who five years ago would have never joined because they didn't see the value. And now the value prop is now where it needs to be. And that has really been helpful. Now, a rising tide does help float all boats. The fact that the industry, the printed book industry is doing well, doesn't hurt. <laughs> yes. But if you're a badly run association in a good industry, yeah. someone else will come along. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I'm pretty pleased. I think the board's pleased with what we've been able to accomplish over the last few years. And and the members, I think, see the value. And we see that in our retention and the fact that we are able to pull new members in and we keep trying to grow the value prop, make the association better each and every day. And we'll just keep trying to do that. Matt, congratulations. And thanks so much for sharing the things that you're doing. Some of it just very innovative. And it sounds like everything that you're doing is turning to gold. So congratulations and thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you from your lips to God's ears. Let's hope that just keeps up and that we're able to keep this association in a stable and, and healthy manner and keep growing and growing the printed book as well. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.